Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, we are in conversation with Land Grant Holy Land legend, the OGLGHLer, Luke Zimmerman. After three years away from the college football blogging game, LZ is back to put the 2019 Buckeyes into perspective and to look ahead to tomorrow's Michigan game, the college football playoff, and much, much more. Now, as a note, we recorded this on Tuesday afternoon, so it was before Tuesday night's college football playoff rankings in which the Ohio State Buckeyes jumped LSU to be number one. We will discuss potential rankings later in the episode, but obviously much of that conversation is no longer applicable because the Buckeyes are already number one. Okay, with all of that now out of the way, here's my conversation with Luke Zimmerman. All right, we are joined now by the man, the myth, the legend, the OG land grant, holy lander, Luke Zimmerman. Luke, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. No, I'm glad that we uh, got to check in. It's a big week for Ohio State. Obviously, it is rivalry week, beat Michigan week, hell week, hate week, whatever you want to call it. So uh, bringing in the big guns for this one. You are no longer actively writing about Ohio State or college football in general. So I wonder, what has your impression been of this team so far this season from a fan's perspective? Yeah, I mean, even though I'm no longer in the trenches as a big J or little J journalist or whatever you <laughs> want to call it, uh, I certainly, I think, you know, I, I don't miss an Ohio State game. I've watched every single game since I got out of the game, as it were. Uh, and so certainly I've seen plenty of Ohio State in the past three years since I've done that. It's crazy to think about three seasons, I guess, not necessarily three years. Yeah, that's but nuts. Uh, yeah, this, I mean, this team, I think, is, is really what, what I keep coming back to is it's the most fun Ohio State team I can remember in a really long time. Like even the 2014 national championship year. It wasn't always fun to watch that team. They were pretty uneven. Yeah, uh, certainly, true. certainly from about uh, Michigan or maybe not even Michigan. Certainly from Wisconsin on, uh, that team was an absolute blast to follow for obvious reasons. But that team in those three games was not indicative of their performance for the entirety of that season. So I think maybe since the 2012 team, which still uh, had a lot of faults, especially in the secondary and defensively, uh, this is at least the going in game in game out really until the Penn State game every game has just been as a fan just a blast to watch so uh you know I think certainly the second half of Penn State was frustrating for a lot of guys and a lot of fans I'm sure the players feel the same way uh but that said I think uh given the outcome and, and sometimes it's good to have a little bit of a, of stress uh and what's been a pretty relative you know I don't want to say easy none of this stuff is easy but relatively speaking it's been a, a stress-free experience as a fan so far yeah, I think a lot of people on Twitter, including our own Colton Denning, talked about like this game felt a lot like a Urban Meyer or even Jim Tressel coached game, not just because of the focus on the run, but because everything felt difficult. Even in the games when they won with those two previous head coaches, it always felt like a slog. And even if they ended up winning by 11 points like they did against Penn State this week or even more, it still felt like it was pulling teeth. So I don't know if that had to do with the style or, or whatever, but um, this season as a whole has been a ton of fun. And, and obviously, a lot of that has to do with the fact that there are some really transcendent talent on this team and it's a really cool guys in terms of personality. Obviously a lot of the discussion, especially coming out of this week is about chase young looking at it now from a fan's perspective, but having a wealth of knowledge about the program, especially uh, over the past decade or two, where do you put chase young in the pantheon of 
talented players, not only at defensive end, at defensive line, but just as Buckeyes in general from recent memory. Yeah, I mean, Chase was kind of more towards the tail end of my covering of the Buckeyes on a more day-to-day basis, and especially covering recruiting, which uh, that, I will tell you that's the one thing I don't particularly miss is, <laughs> is, uh, is that aspect of things. So certainly I was familiar with Chase as a, as a prospect coming out. I certainly, you know, while his talent speaks for itself, his physical attributes are, are second to none and help him do what he does on the field. Uh, I don't think I ever foresaw him turning into this kind of player. I thought maybe he would be, you know, I thought he had first round NFL, second round NFL type ability, but it's transcended that into something that's just an, a rarefied air almost of its own. Uh, I'm showing my age a little bit, but, you know, when I saw the the 2002-2003 teams with Will Smith at defensive end, part of me as a student was thinking like, okay, it's not going to get better than this. This is the gold standard. And kind of something I pointed out on Twitter a couple weeks back is that uh, especially under Urban Meyer, that bar has just been elevated and smashed and broken. Like that ceiling has long since eradicated. You know, we saw Vernon Golston, who was an athletic freak in his own right, didn't work out in the NFL for a variety of reasons. Uh, but that was like the the beta or the alpha version of what we get now with the you know the Bosa brothers and now with Chase. So I, I think certainly just you know he hasn't. Let's wait and, and I guess evaluate his career when the season is is over and, and dealt with, regardless of whether that you know is. Three more games, four more games, five more games, whatever the case may be. Uh, I, I think for at least right now, just in terms of sheer ability and like where he's at as a player on the field, because um, certainly, you know, we saw Joey's career ended prematurely with an ejection. We saw Nick Bosa's career ended premature with a, with an injury. We don't want that for Chase. We want him to you know end it on the field. Uh, but from at least from where we've seen so far, he's a freak in his own class. I don't think we've seen production on the defensive side of the ball like this, maybe at any position ever. I mean, we're talking like Antoine Winfield and maybe a Chris Gamble is, is at least in terms of Gamble's production wasn't anywhere near the Winfield, but just in terms of that freak athleticism playing both sides of the ball, shut down corner, solid possession, slot receiver. Uh, I, I think, you know, you could probably put chase at tight end or fullback or something and get the results that you want, just given his, his ridiculous athletic prowess. Yeah, and first off, let's keep that bad juju of Chase potentially not. Yeah, I'm not trying to speak this into yeah, existence. Please. Let's yeah, you thanks, know, we'll it. knock on wood. Yeah. I, I got some wood right here. We're <laughs> <Okay>. good. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, hell, we've seen Rashad Berry play tight end and move over to defensive end uh, in the l- later part of this season. I think Chase Young can make the opposite move. I mean, you put him in as a as a Mike Vrabel type of player, like we saw so much with the uh, with the Patriots. I have a feeling that he'd be a really tough guy to either tackle coming out of the backfield. Uh, as maybe a fullback or catching something in short yardage. So I don't think they'll do it, but that's a scary thought. But yeah, I think one of the the former, you know, not that I was really on the beat per se, but one of the, the beat writer colleagues that I knew from back in, in my time asked Ryan Day specifically about that. Like, do you have any plans of putting him on offense to try and elevate his Heisman profile or ensure that he gets that invite to New York, which I think we can all agree he deserves, whether or not he gets it just based on it being mostly a quarterback running back position or award, I should say, that goes to those positions. You know, time will tell. But uh, Day denied it. However, you know, maybe he's just playing it close to the vest, as it were, and, and might be keeping something up his sleeve for a possible, uh, you know, second half against Michigan trick play. I'm all for it. I am. I am here for any type of trick play against Michigan, especially when it vol- involves very, very big men scoring touchdowns. Um, so uh, going from Chase Young potentially scoring touchdowns to the people that do score most of the touchdowns. A lot was expected of Justin Fields when he came in. The expectations were super high based almost exclusively on his his recruiting ranking since he didn't really do a ton or have the opportunity to do a ton 
at Georgia. I think from my perspective, I, I think it would be hard to argue that he hasn't smashed through all those expectations, at least in year one. Uh, I didn't expect him to be throwing 31 touchdowns to just one interception on this season. Where do you think he is in terms of his development? Is this peak Justin Fields? Are there things that you think that he can get better at, not only this season, but obviously, I mean, assumably, he will be back at Ohio State next season as well. Where do you think he is in terms of the evolution of where he could be as a quarterback? Well, I think certainly having a second year under Ryan Day will be to his benefit, both you know for Ohio State's sake and then his development going on towards the pros, hopefully. Uh, I think it's a good problem to have if Justin is, is ready and done to go to the NFL after next season, which I think was always the plan. Uh, he's got the talent, as you mentioned. He's the, the highest rated quarterback Ohio State's ever signed or that really anybody had ever signed. I think I don't think anyone has even approached his aggregate star rating since, uh, though there certainly is some elite level guys that, you know, the likes of Alabama and Clemson are in on constantly. Uh, so I think just getting a uh, moldable piece of clay like that is certainly welcome to a, a noted kind of quarterback whisperer like Ryan Day. Uh, I, I think in terms of of what he does well and I guess I let me actually start with some praise we'll do it the you know the Oreo approach positive negative positive <laughs> I like it. uh I you know going into this season Justin Day has smashed my expectations and exceeded them wildly I I thought that you know the athleticism that we've seen with him running has every bit from what I was familiar with with him on the camp circuit the NFTC the Nike camps he flashed all that the legs and the ability to kind of scramble and make plays out of the pocket uh, that stuff doesn't surprise me I've been more impressed with him as a thrower and I know certainly that's not to say he doesn't have a good arm or that he doesn't make good decisions I just think he's a little bit more advanced than what from what I saw from him in limited action at Georgia I saw you know the repetitions that he took for UGA last year he didn't get a lot of playing time uh, but I went and sought that out after he decided to come to Ohio State and I watched the SEC championship game last year where he threw on a fake punt uh, it was not a, a very pretty play and it didn't work and it kind of wound up costing Georgia the game uh, but I, I think when you look at what he's turned into on the field this year for Ohio State um, I think that just in terms of what he does with with throwing the ball is is a little bit better, not a little bit, a lot better than I think many folks such as myself would have thought going in. Now, in terms of what he needs to improve on, I don't always see him going through his reads with the same level of aplomb that a, a Dwayne Haskins or, you know, I mean, that's that's a ridiculous bar to, to compare yeah. to given that Haskins season last year is probably the single greatest for any quarterback in Ohio State history. But I, I don't see that the level of comfort in terms of checking down to a third, fourth option uh, that maybe, you know, a second year guy in the system that matriculated straight from high school might already have just from their familiarity with the urban Meyer and now the Ryan day, uh, you know, and, and, and the evolutions and fingerprints that he's put on the offense, that level of comfort isn't quite there. Now he's clearly done his work to get to where he is at this point. And I think more time in the system will ultimately do that. Um, I, I think it's, it's going to be a good test this past week, obviously against Penn state secondary, which I think was supposedly one of their weaknesses. So they still have a bunch of three and four star guys there um, proved a little bit tougher than maybe some of the other games that they've gone against and Michigan is going to be probably the best secondary he faces until a possible playoff berth so uh, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what he does and this is also his first real you know Georgia's rivals are Florida and Georgia Tech and and while Florida was uh, you know a New Year's Six Bowl caliber team last year when they faced him it wasn't really like a showcase or it wasn't like Ryan or it wasn't like Justin Fields is, is getting the keys to the Camaro the way Ryan Day will give it to him on Saturday certainly he was just kind of in spot duty so I don't know that he has you know, those sort of moments in his experience level as a, as a college athlete, student athlete, 
going in these high-stress rivalry games. Penn State was really, I guess, kind of the first, whether you consider Penn State a rivalry or not. We'll, we'll say for the sake of example that it is. Um, he hasn't had those, you know, what it's like to go into an Ann Arbor and what it's like to go into a game where 12-0 and is on the line. Our old friend Joe Burrow was asked this past week, what's the best part about playing Texas A&M Thanksgiving weekend? And he said, you know, we're the best part is the opportunity to go 12-0. and And I think Justin Fields will agree. Uh, while Michigan is certainly special, this will be his first time in the rivalry. Uh, I think the best best thing in his mind is that chance to to finish a perfect regular season. Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right in the fact that I consider Penn State a rival. I hate Penn State. I despise them with every fiber of my being. So I consider him a rival. I don't know about the team, but I was I was really impressed with how Justin Fields played on Saturday against the Nittany Lions. It wasn't perfect, but he was 16 for 22 passing with a couple drops in there that should have been pretty easy catches. Um, he he still is a little he's a little bit more likely to take sacks than I would like him to be. But I think that's one of those things where you can excuse that because of the ridiculousness that sometimes happens when he does that. And he's able to turn something that should be a throwaway into a completion or a, or a a scramble for a run. He had one play where he rolled out left and found uh, Jeremy Ruckert uh, open that he probably should have just gotten rid of the ball, but he was able to squeeze it in. So I'm able to trade that in, but, and he, did really well against Penn State. So I, I feel like he's going to be calm and collected enough against Michigan to not let the moment get too overwhelming for him. But we will have to wait and see. But as as you said, this weekend is different than any other game that he has played so far as a Buckeye. Probably any game that he's ever played as an athlete, baseball, football, whatever it is. What are your thoughts? I mean, Michigan has had a really interesting season. They started looking like absolute dog doo-doo. And then for some reason against Penn State at halftime, something switched. And I don't know if it was just some change that Josh Gaddis made in the offense or maybe everybody was just finally kind of clicking into what the new offensive scheme was like. But since then, they've been pretty great. So I I think maybe a month or so ago, I would have gone into this game feeling very, very confident about Ohio State's chances not only to win, but to cover the nine, ten points, whatever it is now. But now you have to go in a little bit more apprehensive than you were maybe when we saw them get the tar beat out of them by Wisconsin. Yeah, I think maybe the biggest change is uh, the offense has certainly kind of finally found its comfort zone. They're finally starting to leverage their wide receivers. They've got two great junior wide receivers in Nico Collins and Donovan Peoples-Jones. And I feel like sometimes, especially early in the season, they would just forget about those guys somehow. Uh, that... I don't know if it was strategic or just sort of uh, Josh Gaddis feeling out what he has in his tool chest, but that kind of ignoring those guys sometimes to a fault helped culminate in Ronnie Bell, a sophomore, breaking out for them. So now they have even more weapons, whether that's you know <laughs> intentional or, like yeah. I said, just kind of a happy accident. I'm sure they'll take that. Uh, it's also weird because they went in you know, losing a lot of productivity at running back, especially with Chris Evans, who I think was expected to be the starter, kind of getting kicked out of school or something. I think he's going to come back. Uh, after the season and, and he'll be eligible next year but uh they have you know they're relatively inexperienced and young at running back and, and zach charbonnet and hassan haskins but those guys have been real workhorses for them especially against notre dame which is a really weird game because it's like you know the box score was a blowout you watched it it was very one-sided showing that's another one of michigan's rivals and so since they haven't had too many rivalry wins to to brag about they'll certainly take that regardless of what happened but also it was just like it was a cold torrential downstorm so they're playing in like almost sleet and Notre Dame passed the ball nonstop, which is kind of 
goes back to a game that I think Notre Dame played against a better Miami team than the current Miami team that lose the lost against FIU over the weekend and is and just an absolute sorry state of a program. But they were playing a uh, a Miami team that while it's not as good as this current Michigan team was you know probably eight or nine win season if I'm remembering correctly and it was in kind of like hurricane type conditions and Brian Kelly could not abandon the pass. He just passed and passed and passed and passed and passed. And it was the same thing against Michigan where uh, they just had a game plan. They stuck to it to a fault. It cost them and then things snowballed on them. But in that game, those guys, especially Charbonnet, uh, were just really effective in terms of um, kind of setting the tone and really kind of imposing that almost like old school hardball and type offense. Even though this is supposed to be about speed and space, uh, they did it a little bit more traditional and, and kind of used the run to then establish kind of some safe, out passes uh, for you know the the quarterback that, that I think we're all going to have our eye on this weekend in Shea Patterson and Patterson to his credit I thought you know at the beginning of the season and this is maybe just a symptom of the offense or uh, maybe it was just a, a variety of things I know he was a little bit dinged up too which might have played a bigger role than people have been saying but uh, he looked every bit kind of like a bust or, or really like kind of with the absolute downside maybe his the early rawness that we saw when he was at Ole Miss his his for his years there uh, he didn't look too terribly progressed from that state now the Shea Patterson that we've seen is especially this past weekend against Indiana and when he just had like a million yards and touchdowns uh, has come quite a long way, whether that's just his own comfort in this new offense, whether that's, you know, his receivers stepping up and kind of finally leveraging those, like talked about those high talented guys. It's tough to say. It's just, it's going to be such a a mystery bag as to what we get. I'm going to expect them to play pretty well though. Uh, I think last year was pretty fluky, honestly. I mean, we talked about snowballs uh, that, you know, that game could have gone a lot of different ways. Uh, I do think it's, Maybe not as indicative of the talent golf as you would think, but it's also not like Ohio State. You don't win by you know 20 plus points, 23 points uh, against the number one defense in the country by accident. Uh, and, and I think actually Michigan's the biggest, the best thing that they did last season was just they kind of never quit. They kept answering with drives. Uh, Shea was not always very good and had some costly poor decisions, but he just kept going and kept plugging at the end of last year's game. And I mean that might that might help motivate him this week certainly. I mean, no, certainly they they haven't won in what eight years, and and I think that they'd like to get that marquee win that's just been kind of elusive outside the grasp of of Harbaugh this, that entire era. I think what's interesting to me is just is that you know we've had lots of different stages kind of in this four now five years that Harbaugh has been there uh, where you know Michigan's sizable underdogs you know 10 13 and a half maybe their first year to where they're favorites or at least favorites and advanced stats with that you know, elite team that wound up losing on the spot um, but you know I don't think anyone would question that that Ohio State team wasn't worthy or anything like that maybe Michigan men might but uh, and then you know they've just kind of gone back and forth where you might have one as like a half point favorite that gets better around and then this year it's certainly much larger with Ohio State really to this point having had a historic season in terms of efficiency offensively and defensively so they haven't really been in this like larger underdog role last year the Buckeyes with the underdogs and wound up winning handedly uh, I think that would certainly create quite the chaos in the college football playoff scene and also maybe give a little bit of pause to folks that so far feel really good about the Ryan Day era so something like that go down but I think more likely it's just you know rivalry games are rivalry games they can you know regardless of the talent on the field if they're just kind of in the same ballpark Anything can happen. And Michigan does have the edge that they're playing this one at home, um, which, you know, hasn't always necessarily been that much of an advantage in the past, you know, 20, 15, 20 years. But uh, I think uh, in this case, it'll serve them well, especially as we talked about Justin Fields goes in relatively inexperienced in this type of environment. Yeah. I, before I kind of follow up on that, I do think, though, that win or lose as, uh, this weekend, as long as Ohio State wins the Big Ten title, I, I think that they're still probably fairly secure in making it 
to the college football playoff. Their seeding obviously would change, but nobody wants to go into the playoff having lost to Michigan, at least from the Ohio State side. Um, but that's something that we can talk about uh, after that happens, if it does happen. But going back to the actual game itself, we've seen Ohio State kind of use a, a fairly run-heavy offense so far this season. But we've also seen Justin Fields have literally one of the most impressive passing efficiency seasons uh, that we've ever seen. What Dwayne Haskins did last year in terms of productivity and the raw numbers is ridiculous. But 31 touchdowns to one interception for a first-time starter transfer new to the system is is pretty ridiculous in its own right. Do you think that we'll continue to see Ryan Day lean on J.K. Dobbins, lean on this run-blocking or do you think that we will see him kind of open up the the gates a little bit more and let Fields pass a bit, even though that was the exact opposite of what he did against Penn State, where they kind of took the ball out of his hands when, when the game got close, didn't didn't trust maybe that pass blocking uh, as much as he did the run blocking. Where do you think we're going to see Ryan Day settle in terms of how he wants to attack this Michigan defense? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because Michigan plays a real fluid defense where Don Brown made some changes kind of around abouts the Penn State game where they kind of shifted to more of like a fluid flowing defense, really not unlike kind of what we see from the New England Patriots this year, certainly without that same level of talent. Uh, the number one defense in the NFL is, is not what Michigan is, but they have elevated themselves. I think if you adjust for really like the last six, seven weeks, Michigan is one of the top two or three efficiency defenses, if not number one. I'd have to see those numbers offhand, but I know for the whole season, even given their sluggish start offensively, which is certainly doing their defense no favors, they're still the number five defense in the country in terms of advanced stats. So, uh, they don't have really that star power. There's not like the Jabril Peppers, the Jordan Lewis type guys, but there are some very, very good ones, especially in the secondary, the likes of like an Ambry Thomas, Lavert Hill, uh, Brad Hawkins. And then in the linebackers, they always have good linebackers, but Jordan Glasgow kind of yeah. lives up to that tradition of some of their previous, like the Chase Winovich type edge rusher types, um, you know, kind of being productive as in his role as more of an interior linebacker. But regardless, he kind of fits that mold in terms of like the, the Don Brown, Jim Harbaugh era, Michigan man linebacker. Uh, they don't have that elite level defense, maybe a defensive line, I should say, or, or front four uh, that maybe some of the better uh, Michigan teams the last 10, 15 years have have had. I don't want to sell this team short. This is a very good team. Like we talked about, they found their, their steel legs at just the right time and they needed to. And, and they're certainly more than capable of causing problems for Dobbins and company. I thought something that was pretty interesting though, was last week's opening touchdown drive where it was just what nine runs for 91 yards or something outrageous yep. like that. Uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, Penn State's defensive line is better than Michigan's. It's it, it may not be many standard deviations. There might not be much but variance in between the two. I mean, uh, but Penn State does have an elite level defensive line. And for Ohio State's offensive line to play that well in the run block, I think that's an important tone setter for this week as well. Because especially, you know, it's it's tough to say like crazy things can happen Midwest weather wise. Or maybe all of a sudden they'll be playing this game in sleet and have to turn to the run game exclusively. Uh, maybe the ball will be real hard and cold or something, whether it's dry or wet. Uh, and Fields won't really have that same level of touch that he had uh you know and then he also we saw fields have kind of a a cradling hand issue where it's not really his throwing arm but his left hand i think his thumb or something was really bothering him against yeah. penn state if that gets cold and that gets tight you know that could impact you know how he grips the ball how he kind of you know protects it and things like that and they might have to rely on on his legs and dobbins a little bit more but i think something that really caught me off guard is is having watched the penn state game if you told me that jk dobbins had 157 rushing yards at the end of that game i would have absolutely not believed you because it felt like so many times uh -huh. they'd run the ball and he would just get kind of 
you know, bundled up in the backfield or he'd get like a gain of one or two and then they'd have to figure something else out. Maybe a dump off to a tight end or, a, you know, a, a timely Chris Olave or KJ Hill catch. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I think that the the run game will still be their identity, even against an, an offense that can, or against Cardinal, against a defense that can create problems like Michigan's. That's so free flowing, uh, and it can really cover a lot of ground with the speed that they have. I think that you know where they don't have that star a lister first second round type caliber guy maybe at least in bulk like they have in some of these previous defenses they just have so many quick guys that can create problems especially when they're all running in the same direction so i think ohio state's gonna have to kind of do a lot of uh, rpos sort of play action type stuff to keep michigan guessing uh i think back you know obviously justin fields is not lamar jackson who might be the nfl's mvp right now but he has some of those same skills and i think if they can keep michigan kind of committing to you know if they catch them sort of in transition, I talked about them flowing, they get them out of position. That's how Michigan, that's how Ohio state is going to be able to gash at Michigan and possibly get some explosive plays as if they, they have everyone guess that the offense is going one way and then they're able to, at the last possible second, cut the other direction, find Dobbins, find a wide receiver on a you know quick slant or something like that. Uh, whether or not, you know, it's easy to talk about in practice. And I'm sure the, the coaches that spent all day yesterday watching tape, uh, we'll have some ideas on how to attack that. It's a lot harder in actual in, in production. So. so now that I've got you here, you've broken everything down. What, what do you think will happen? I'll put you on the spot. What is your prediction for what we will see on Saturday up in Ann Arbor? I think uh, both teams are going to be kicking a lot of field goals, and that probably actually favors the Wolverines because I think they've got one of the better kickers in, in the Big Ten, at least in terms of uh, completion percentage or in terms of efficacy and kicking field goals. Uh, not to you know trash too much on on, on Ohio State's kick game, but uh, in the weather, like we talked about, the ball being hard when it's real cold. Uh, Blake Hobbill, you know, the holder, snapper, everybody has to do their job, and and sometimes just execution. Especially maybe if it does get a little bit windy, it could be tough. Uh, so, you know, and teams are still going to get their touchdowns. It's Ohio State, Michigan. It's not going to be three yards in a cloud of dust or the 2008 game where it's like 14-3 or anything like that. That would that would particularly shock me if it turned out to be that defensive. Uh, but I could well see a, a world where Ohio State has 30 points or 27 points and, and those two or three field goals could be a difference in the game. Um, I, I think, I guess my concern is that Michigan's offense is is pretty streaky. Um, if they catch the Buckeyes' defense on a bad game, if they have this master, you know, if Josh Gaddis really earns his 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 pay and and really kind of his elevation from Alabama, where he wasn't a play caller, regardless of what Michigan man will claim on Twitter, uh, <laughs> that was Michael Ackley's offense that Gaddis was kind of doing more, you know, uh, offensive quality control, I guess you would say. But uh, if he wants to earn his, uh, his his title and his big raise, uh, I think this is the opportunity for him to do that. That said, I think that just this Ohio State defense has been so good, um, bringing in the the new brain trust that they have, and and moving on from from Greg Schiano, who well, I think was very popular in the in the staff and the offices and, and in the locker room. It's only did a great job recruiting on the aggregate. It just kind of maybe lost his touch in terms of a defensive play caller, uh, bringing in Jeff Halfley, and just the systems that they've kind of adjusted to defensively this year puts puts those guys the Jeff Akutos and things like that in, in position to be successful. I would be surprised if Michigan just slices them up, but hey, anything's possible. Uh, I'll, I'll go, if you want to put me on out there for a prediction, I'll say like 29-21, something like that. So Michigan will cover, barely, but uh, it should be a game late, I'm guessing. I wouldn't even be surprised if it was like 23-21, 26-21 heading into the fourth quarter. Uh, so I'm, I'm afraid it's going to be a little bit of a nerve-wracker, but uh, you know, I, I think Michigan will... I'll, I'll go Michigan to cover. You know, Don't hold those numbers to me, but I 
I think Michigan will keep it keep it pretty close. All right. So uh, you have Ohio State winning, going on whether they win or lose, they're going to the Big Ten championship game. Uh, assuming they beat either Wisconsin for a second time or Minnesota, um, they would go on to the, the college football playoff. Where do you think that Ohio State ends up, whether they play Clemson, LSU, whoever takes that fourth spot? What do you see for the final destination for this team on the season? Well, the past couple of seasons have been pretty chalk late. I mean, we've had Alabama get upset by Auburn a couple times, which is still definitely, especially with, with Tua Tagovailoa out, or is well within the realms of possibilities. But I kind of just still foresee a relatively chalk end of the season, uh, which, you know, is as boring as it is to have Alabama make the playoff every single year. Uh, I'm just fully expecting that existential dread of Ohio State having to play Clemson in an opening playoff, opening round playoff game once again. And and that that does give me heartburn even more than this upcoming weekend. Uh, so I'm going to guess that, yeah, LSU will be one. Ohio State will be two. Clemson will be three. And Alabama will be four, uh, which I think is actually pretty unfair for LSU to have to play Alabama twice. But the committee doesn't factor in rematches supposedly so unless they do some you know dirty pool and or alabama just absolutely destroys auburn and there's actually some case to put them ahead of an undefeated acc champion clemson maybe clemson stumbles not against south carolina certainly but maybe in the acc title game against virginia tech or virginia uh you know who knows but i think that's i'll just go chalk for now um i think where it gets interesting and, and like god forbid if there was somehow some weird situation like the flip side of last year where it winds up being like I don't know how this would be possible, but say the shoe you know, falls on the other foot, as it were, and, and Michigan scores a bunch of points and wins like 55-31 or something outrageous like that, that would cause a lot of pause for the committee, even though Ohio State has been good so all season long. I think the Buckeyes would bounce back in the Big Ten title game, but it's hard to win those big, you know, unless you're playing Wisconsin in a fluke year. Yeah. Uh, I don't think what we saw between Cardale and the, the Buckeyes will be replicated anytime soon. So I think regardless of whether it's Minnesota or Wisconsin, it's going to be relatively close. I, I could see a scenario where it's Minnesota Minnesota uses kind of all their um, emotional momentum to get past Wisconsin and make that Big Ten title game where that one could turn into a little bit of a one-sided affair. But, uh, you know, I, I still think either of those teams are, are more than capable of just kind of slowing it down. Wisconsin will learn from their, their you know, loss to the Buckeyes that was pretty one-sided. I think it'd be a lot closer in a rematch. And, and Minnesota is more than capable of, of kind of, you know, controlling the ball, playing like old-school Big Ten man ball and keeping things interesting. Uh, so, you know, I... I yeah, I don't want to again. We don't want to put this bad juju out into the world. A, a, a sizable, like a three or four touchdown Ohio State loss would, I think, create some interesting uh, debate fodder. But in, in such a world, who knows? Maybe, you know, maybe Oklahoma loses. Maybe Utah loses. Maybe, heck, maybe Alabama loses. And then I think if you saw, if you came into this like crazy scenario where there's all these one and two loss teams, I don't really know how you fill out the field because you're going to have like the one or two teams. Clemson's going to be undefeated. I think we can go ahead and safely, you know, yeah. advance them to the field, whether they're the two or one or whatever but if say lsu alabama ohio state all find a way to lose in the next couple weeks it just becomes really chaotic because i just think there's really two or three teams right now that are clearly playoff caliber but everybody else is just kind of like well we have to have four so uh, i think that's where it could get get particularly interesting now i don't want i don't think any ohio state i'll go ahead and just put this out there since we're i've said so much awful stuff if any of it comes to fruition if chase young gets hurt if ohio state gets blown out it's 100 percent on me so blame at luke zem on twitter you can come and harass me and those (laughs) should those things come to fruition but just in the interest of fairness uh if it is a tough ohio state loss against michigan um but the buckeyes go ahead and and take care of their business in the in the Big Ten title game. The one scenario where I could actually see that being advantageous is, say, Georgia handedly beats LSU or 
say Alabama wins the Iron Bowl emphatically, and then the rest form holds. So you have LSU, uh, either LSU, Georgia, or Alabama, and then Clemson. If Ohio State is the team that falls to the four, I think just anything you can get to avoid Clemson in the first round would actually maybe be a bit of a coup. Now, uh, I would much rather beat Michigan, win the Big Ten, and let chips fall where they may against the Tigers. Uh, this is a Clemson is more beatable, I think, than they were certainly last year or, or three years ago when they beat Ohio State 31 nothing. But uh, I, I think that that would be the one silver lining if if it was a close defeat or, you know, if somehow it was a blowout defeat, but then they you know returned to form against the, against Wisconsin or Minnesota. Uh, that said, I mean, we'll, we'll have to see. It's going to be an interesting last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think that the best case scenario for Ohio State when it's all said and done is if the win over a number eight Penn State and then a win over hopefully a bigger win over a potentially top 10, 11 Michigan and then a win over whoever they play in the Big Ten title game is enough to actually push them past LSU. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily possible unless LSU looks kind of bad in the uh, SEC championship game. But I think the best case scenario is if Ohio State is able to vault to number one, therefore avoiding both LSU and Clemson in the opening round. That's the best case scenario. Take your chances with Alabama, Oklahoma, Utah, whoever the hell else the committee puts in at number four. But uh, I I think Ohio State needs to win these next two games pretty big if they want to have their best shot uh, in the the playoffs. But So I I think you're probably right. The chalk is probably going to hold. But if Ohio State can avoid the other two best teams in the country in the first round, that definitely gives them a better chance to wing it all when it was all said down. I don't remember where the championship game is this year. Is it, is it in New Orleans? Is that right? Yeah, it, I believe the, the final is in New Orleans and the semifinals are the Peach Bowl in Atlanta and Fiesta. our old favorite stomping grounds, yeah, yeah. The, the Fiesta Bowl in Glendale. Uh, I, yeah, I think... I don't want to, again, I, I keep putting all these like negative hypotheticals out there and That's I'm going to feel sick. Yeah. Exactly. It's, you know, I got to bring back the, the, the land grant that the, the audience hates, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I, I think... Um, we talked. You talked about like kind of the absolute value of the scenario I outlined, where Ohio State's unimpressive or gets blown out by Michigan or something like that and falls to four. Um, but I guess I'd still be scared, even if they handle business and line up the one that Alabama is the four. I don't know if that's necessarily better or worse than Clemson. I guess <laughs> without Tua, you'll take your chances. Yeah, but those teams are just so. those teams are so loaded that it's just it's so hard. I as good as LSU has been offensively, and as as little as I'd like the the narrative about having to play Joe Burrow, especially if he you know winds up beating the Buckeyes, there'd be so much stupid stuff about buyer's remorse. Uh, from especially from guys that really backed him rationally or irrationally before he left um, or after even for that matter. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I'd still feel much more comfortable against that defense, which has been really shaky. They're very talented. They've got a lot of NFL guys on it. But they just they kind of remind me of some of these OSU defenses under Shiano where, yeah, they've got a bunch of NFL guys, but they can, you know, it's bend or break at any given moment. So uh, I would feel fine against LSU. Clemson and Alabama definitely has a fan scare the hell out of me. Uh you know, I guess if, if the Buckeyes got Georgia or something like that, it could be an interesting narrative one, kind of the flip side of the Joe Burrow. You could have Justin Fields playing his former team, and then the Buckeyes maybe have to play LSU in the championship game. So imagine that scenario. You'd have the Burrow, Ohio State, revenge factor, Justin Fields, Georgia. I, I'd feel most comfortable, I think, against Georgia because their offense, I just don't know that they can score enough points. If they upset LSU, somehow got into the three, it winds up, you know, I don't know. The Buckeyes somehow end up two and Clemson is number one. I don't, I don't know what would have to, to go down for that to happen. But uh, I guess you could still also have a scenario where maybe uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine Ohio State getting Georgia without Ohio State losing. But stranger things have happened, I guess. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. 
Yeah, I, I think I would much rather play Joe Burrow and LSU in the championship game just because it's a shorter lead up. It's a longer lead up than it has been in recent years. It's like a week and a half compared to a, to the normal week between the semifinals and the finals. But I would much rather deal with a week and a half of that media narrative than having to deal with it for like three, three or four weeks or whatever it is between the big 10 championship game and the semifinals that that would become tiring at best. And I feel like our mentions would blow up significantly uh, about that, but We'll have to wait and see, but it's a, it should be fun coming down the stretch. Always exciting uh, for the uh, for the Michigan game and uh, with a team like this that has historically been one of the most dominating teams in memory, whether Ohio State or otherwise. Uh, I'm hoping that we can see a return to form this weekend and put the Penn State craziness uh, in the past because I, I still feel like if those turnovers don't happen, Ohio State wins by 35 or more and, I, and i'm hoping that we can see something more closely akin to that against michigan but luke thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to uh, chat with us about that it's nice having you back here on the land grant holy land airwaves and uh hopefully none of the things that you predicted come to pass in these uh the last month of the season yeah if i say enough random things at least one of them will come true so i'll, yeah, I'll just go ahead and, one and good one i'll go ahead and I'll, I'll re-echo that i picked ohio state to win 29 21 so okay, good Let's let's put that one out there in closing and, That's the and see if that can hold serve. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Luke. Enjoy the game, and uh, hopefully, we'll catch up with you again soon. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land in conversation. Also, thank you, of course, to the legendary Luke Zimmerman. You can and you should follow him on Twitter at Luke Zim. That's at L U K E Z I M. If you're finding this podcast on the website, don't forget to go to your favorite podcasting application and subscribe so that you can get all of the Land Grant Holy Land audio goodness downloaded directly to your device as soon as it's available. Also, don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33, and you can find me on Twitter at BWWMATT. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon, and go Bucks.